You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Monday, February the 27th. It's a sunny start to the week here in TW11. It's great to be back home for a few days. Off to Miami on the Kentucky Derby Trail at the weekend and then we'll be back in the run-up to the Cheltenham Festival, which is now only 15 days away. So clues, meaningful clues are thinning out, of course, because all trainers are concentrating on now is keeping their horses in one piece. But there might have been one or two over the weekend and there might well have been one very meaningful one from the stable of Emmett Mullins. That very talented trainer is going to be joining me on this podcast very shortly to talk about that horse, to talk about the horse that goes for another Kelso Cheltenham bonus this weekend and also his Gold Cup and Grand National hopeful Noble Yates, the reigning Aintree hero. I will also be checking in with Ollie Murphy, one of the few British-based trainers who has realistic claims to having a chance in the Supreme Novices Hurdle. He's firing two bullets at that. He's along later off the back of a notable success at Fontwell Park yesterday with an old stable favourite. We will be looking ahead at the end of the programme to when the white paper will appear. It's two years since the end of the call for evidence into the gambling review. We've had six ministers since, four secretaries of state. Now, the Betting and Gaming Council Chief Executive Michael Duggar is imploring, and we'll do so later on this programme, the government to get this white paper out before Easter to give the industry some sort of idea as to where it's headed next. Though the word certainty mustn't ever be mentioned in the context of this conversation. If there was one certainty going into last weekend... It was that the Japanese would have a great Saudi Cup night as they did last year. Indeed, they did three more winners, a sprinter, a stayer and the winner of the Saudi Cup itself in Pantalassa, who, for goodness sake, was an exposed turf horse. But he's trained by Yoshita Yahagi, the man with the hat and a little bit of a genius as well. He Once again, he's taken a huge prize. They were first, third, fourth and fifth. The American country gamma, ridden by Frankie Dottori, finished in second place on a good night for the Italian, more of which in a moment. But let's first of all, Cornelius, just start by tipping our Yahagi-style hat to Japan and saying they've got this game absolutely nailed right now. It, 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 we can acknowledge, can't we? Uh, somebody or some people sat down with a plan they, they set out their stall. They said that what they wanted to do, and they have achieved it. And, uh, you know, here are a latest set of, uh, of really striking results. So, so well, once upon a time, I think when a Japanese runner came to Europe or when a Japanese runner went to North America or to the Middle East or wherever, thought, well, you know, good luck to them. Now, uh, everybody needs to look at them very, very carefully. They're brilliantly prepared. They're... Uh, brilliantly raised and um, they're brilliantly raced as well around the world so a really striking part of racing in the modern era when talk, people talk about the racing globe getting smaller the Japanese have played a, a major part in that a little bit of comment over the over the weekend suggesting that they can't really lay claim to being the the world's leading nation until they start conquering races in in France stated aim to win the arc of course and and regularly winning races in 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 Britain and Royal Ascot do you think that is um english slash irish slash french parochialism at its best or or, or do they have a point uh, although the uh, as i say the racing globe is much smaller than it used to be 
people do tend to be relatively narrow-minded or the real sort of uh, hitting between the eye, the real uh, striking thing is when it's happening on the doorstep. And, you know, I dare say that horses turning up from Japan to Britain, to Ireland, to France uh, will become a more and more uh, of a regular feature and people will acknowledge that. Yeah, and and mark my words, they'll be winning plenty here and in Ireland as well. Uh, you only have to look at the ambition of somebody like Yoshita Yahagi to realise that. He took the big race with Panthalassa. He also took uh, an earlier race on the card, the 1351 sprint with Bathrat Leon, who you'll remember led Baid into the final furlong in the Sussex Stakes last year. So who knows, he might be back here next season. It wasn't to be for Frankie Dottori in the Saudi Cup, but he went damn close on Country Grammar, who ran his usual honest race. Dottori did win on the explosive elite power, however, the Breeders' Cup sprint winner confirming his quality and class in that division. And he was second on, I'm having a meltdown, who did not quite have a meltdown, but just got touched off in the final mm-hmm. stages of the uh, of the Saudi Derby. So it was a pretty big payday for Dottori, and I suspect just another in a long list of pretty big paydays, both on and off horses during the course of the next few months. People heard Frankie Dottori announce that he was going to retire in 2023. Then he's off to uh, the United States uh, for the for the winter. Then we get a situation where he's there on the, the this really valuable uh, this r- extraordinarily valuable uh, Saudi card, uh, and then suddenly the the chat has uh, got on to will he really retire this year? Um, and I think it probably to to an extent it started on the podcast, didn't it? And then it has rolled and rolled and rolled, and other parts of the media have been talking about it. It was discussed in a news conference uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia, and Dottori is a is a roller coaster character in every every sense of the word. Uh, when when there is a bandwagon behind him, it's really striking how he can can ride that bandwagon. And I remember when he was last champion jockey in Britain, it started off as a small thing. I wonder whether he will uh, whether he might be champion jockey again. Suddenly he's riding a few winners. Suddenly everybody's talking about it. Suddenly he's getting even more cheers when he when he jumps off his horses at the end of races and his confidence is up. And he got that goal and he was champion jockey uh, for the third time. I just wonder whether this bandwagon now is really rolling for him to perhaps not ride, even in the way that he has done over the last couple of years, but but riding it in these very top prizes where he continues to hold so many skills and so much popularity. I just wonder whether he is beginning to uh, to reconsider the exact details of his decision. Right, so many interesting themes explored in the desert but plenty of interest on on home soil as well britain ireland france etc ireland nace yesterday corbett's cross first run for emmett mullins since transferring from the stable of eugene o'sullivan and now in the colors of very smart owner paul byrne he was very good he's a potential runner at cheltenham i put a call into emmett earlier to ask him what he made of his performance and what he'd been expecting going into it um, well, obviously we were hoping we'd win, um, but um, I would say it'll prove to be a very competitive race. The first two are two very nice horses, I'd say. Yeah, founder 50 was second, he was 16 lengths clear of the third. And obviously he's won on a stiff track going going two miles, but he, he's already shown versatility. What sort of horse does he strike you as? Um, from the get-go, as soon as we got him off Eugene... He's he's been very straightforward and um, he took his work well. But um, once we stepped him up a gear, he's uh, he's always shown us um, that he could be a very special horse. 
I mean, very special. You're not one to bandy superlatives around like that, you know, willy-nilly. I've, I've talked to you enough times on here. You don't say that very often. No, I suppose not, no. Um, so he's obviously he's obviously very good. What do you want to do with him? Where do you want to go? Uh, no immediate plan. Um, we'll definitely be minding him. Uh, hopefully we just get safe ground and say it's we've only got him. 38 days or so and um, we'll be trying to mind him for next season and hopefully um, if we mind him he'll look after us So you're not dead set on going to Cheltenham then? No um, I'm not I'm not sure about Paul Byrne but uh, (laughs) uh, we'll have that discussion closer to the time but um, if it's uh, if the ground and everything is going to be okay for him we'll let him take his chance but um, as I say, there could be a very uh, big days ahead. Hopefully, with him, and um, uh, we won't uh, we won't uh, take any chances with him. Okay. So, and if he did go there, he's only got that entry in the in the Bartlett. Was that the race that he'd go for? Yeah, Paul did mention yesterday about he he'd be open to doing some supplementary entries, but um, uh, yeah, so he, he would have a few options there, but. Um, it's it's ground dependent really. Um, we we could think about races closer to the time, but it's just a, a ground to be just to keep him right. I think he's a big horse and uh, a big action, and um, just mind him for now. Now on to McTeague. This is intriguing, McTeague. You're trying to do this more battle Cheltenham double that you did with the Shunter for the big bonus a couple of years ago. Um, what are you what are you eyeing up? I know you've got to get through Saturday first, but you've got the a bazillion entries at Cheltenham. Everything from the Boodles to the Martin Pipe to the, I think you're 100 to 1 for the Triumph Hurdle and goodness knows what else. What What's your thinking at the moment? We we tried to enter him in the Albert Bartlett, but four olds couldn't go in it. We tried to enter him in the County Hurdle, and four olds couldn't be entered in it either. So there were two more options that we weren't allowed to explore. Um, but um, no, he's uh, he was a very nice horse in France earlier in the year. Um, things didn't go to plan on our second trip back um, but uh, no he's he's a funny one he's probably not overly well handicapped but uh, I do feel the weight for age allowance he's so precocious being a two year old winner and all that he might just be ahead of the weight for age uh, scale Ah okay so so you might you might be better off taking on taking on older horses and getting the weight because he's a kind of an old a bit of an old pro for his age rather than going up against those real fast progressive four-year-olds. I don't think he's particularly well handicapped but if there was any angle to him he's very very forward and as I say being a, a two-year-old flat winner for Jim Bulger um He's, he's probably a different mould than most jumpers and uh, might be just ahead of the weight for age scale, but we won't know until we try. All good with Noble Yates? Yes, so far so good. He's um, turned a few screws on him now and um, I guess we get a clean run from here to the festival and um, he seems to be in good form. I mean, is that is that um, indicating that the screws haven't all been completely tight for, for what we've seen so far this season? Um, he's been a normal path, I suppose. He's um, he takes his racing well, and uh, he progresses from run to run. Um, so yeah, no fingers crossed. There's um, a few screws to be tightened, and a few 
applications of running gear maybe and uh we, we could get there in the end hopefully all right what do you think what do you think in terms of headgear for the for the gold cup and or the national what are you what are you looking at at the moment pieces visor blinkers hood cheek pieces we'll, we'll, we'll tongue tie uh, winning formula <laughs> so you just get you just do, do what you've done yeah basically yes yeah okay so no more no more no more tinkering you're not going to go you're not going to give him an upgrade of headgear i don't think so no he hasn't seen them since his big day last year so um hopefully this will have the same effect all right good stuff emmett thanks for talking brilliant thank you very interesting from emmett mullins about a number of horses just want to zone in on a horse that's going to run this weekend cornelius mcteague at a, a venue beloved of yours kelso racecourse uh, for for an inter- for for your international audience is one of the most spectacular racecourses in in many ways in Britain. It's right on the border of uh, England and Scotland. Uh, it's a proper rural, quite quite old fashioned in a way type of uh, type of racecourse. But the quality of the racing there, the quality of the management of the place, the quality of the forward thinking of the place has been very striking. Uh, particularly in recent years, and they offer this bonus that the more battle hurdle, uh, which has been um, the one of the one of the well, at one stage it was the only feature race staged at Kelso, but now the the principal feature uh, or the best known feature, I should say, staged at Kelso. If you can win that and then win at the festival, there's a lot of money involved. There's a horse uh, that's apparently going to be aimed for the more battle hurdle and then maybe the county hurdle at Cheltenham. Uh, called Colonel Mustard, trained by Lorna Fowler. And um, although they'd be quite different characters with their horses, Lorna Fowler and Emmett Mullins, they'd both be pretty shrewd as well. And that could be a real battle of the shrewdness with 100 grand uh, in their in their mind's eye as well. Well, Cornelius, there'll be massive prize money up for grabs at Sandown on Saturday week as well. It is Betfair Imperial Cup Day, one of my favourite days of the calendar. I'll be there doing duty for racing TV. There's invariably a Cheltenham preview after racing as well, which I think is one of the best during the course of the year. It's short, it's sharp, it's snappy. You're right on the eve of the festival as well. Uh, There's that to look forward to. There's the final of the EBF National Hunt Novice Hurdle Series, which is always a cracking handicap, a really good listed mare's bumper. And quite often you get pretty lovely weather for it as well. So it's a great day to go racing. Sandown Park's one of my favourite race courses. And I'm absolutely thrilled that on this podcast we've been teaming up with with the Jockey Club to offer you admission to the grandstand at Sandown Park on Imperial Cup Day next Saturday uh, for just a tenner. At just a tenner, half price into the grandstand on Imperial Cup Day for listeners of this podcast exclusively. You just go to thejockeyclub.co.uk, go to the Sandown Park website, go to Imperial Cup Day and put in the promo code when you're asked for it, NL10, and you get it for a tenner. Hurry while stocks last. 500 tickets only available, but you can get four at a time. Really good family day out. Betfair Imperial Cup Day at Sandown. Don't miss out. You can go for just a tenner in the grandstand using the promo code NL10, thejockeyclub.co.uk. Go to Sandown Park. Well, I wanted to uh, check in with Ollie Murphy, uh, congratulate him, first of all, on the victory of Bruin Up a Storm, a, a grand stable stager in the National Spirit Hurdle yesterday at Fontwell. Ollie, how much pleasure did that give you, seeing him back? 
Yeah, it was Magic Nick. Um, obviously, he's been a star for me since I since I started training, and he was kind of a little bit out in the wilderness um, since that race last year, and just to kind of get him back on his A game and, and see a performance like that yesterday. Yeah, it was great. I'm very, very keen to actually have a go at three miles with him. Um, whether we look at going to Aintree and, and having a go at the three-mile race rather than the, the, the two-and-a-half-mile race, um, the entry hurdle hasn't really worked out from the last couple of years. So I just think we've got to kind of think outside the box a little bit. And whether that's to, to go up and trip, I'm not quite sure. I need to discuss it with his owner, Barbara Hester. But um, listen, he picked up a good prize yesterday. There's a nice race from at Sandown last day of the season as well. So... Um, after winning yesterday, kind of he's had a he's he's had a good year now, and and whatever he does now is a, a, a bonus. All right, how are those Cheltenham horses coming along? Yeah, they're good. Touchwood, they're all in one piece. Um, strong lead and chasing fire. Um, both in good form. They both gallop at the back end of the week, and um, looking forward to run them in the Supreme. Um, Thunder Rock's going to run in the the old RSA, the Turners, is it now? Um, he's he, he's well. I, th- I think it's the Brown Advisory if it's the three miler. Sorry, the Brown, the, yeah. the, 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 the Brown Advisory, the, the three mile novice. Um, he's in very good form. Um, hasn't got a lot to find with the real Wacker, who's second favourite off the, off, off the Cheltenham form. And um, looking forward to running him. I thought he'd have a have an each way chance if he turned up in his A game. And kind of a, a bits and bobs for handicaps. And Itchy Feet will probably run the per temps. Um, seems in good nick. And the Wolf ran one in a hundred grand handicap at Ascot last weekend. Um, he's in a few of those three mile handicaps. So yeah, no, all in one piece at the moment, Nick. Um, looking forward to, to, to running them. And uh, yeah, amazing how quick it comes around. It's two two weeks away now. Yeah, I mean, you've been placed in the Supreme Novices with is it two or th- at least two horses, isn't it? Maybe three. Yeah, um, I've hit the door a few times. Hit, hit, hit the crossbar a couple of times. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to having another go with, mm. with with another couple that are, are going there with with good profiles. Um, strong leaders got, got got strong bum performers unbeaten in three three novice hurdles. Chasing fires unbeaten in his in his point his bumper in his three novice hurdles as well. I'd have loved to have have, have, have run them in slightly better races than I have done, but just with the way this winter's panned out, I haven't been able to do so. Um, but I think they both got a, a lot of ability. They're both going there um, unproven. Um, and hopefully with plenty more in the locker, and I don't see any reason why they both haven't got good each way chances. All right, who's going to ride him? Uh, Sean Byrne will ride strong leader, and Aidan Coleman will ride chasing fire. So, um, yeah, know the two boys, know them, know them both well, and um, I don't. There's a lot between them, to be honest. One's kind of fourteen to one, and one's thirty-three to one. I'm sure they'll both be slightly short on the day as three or four in front of them and the betting won't run. But uh, yeah, looking forward to run the pair of them, and um, it's yeah, exciting. Well, there was more joy in Hong Kong for the amazing Golden 60 uh, yesterday. Morning GMT in, in Hong Kong in the Hong Kong Gold Cup beat his old adversary, Romantic Warrior. And this was a, a truly superb performance. And it's worth noting the relative odds of the two horses as well. Romantic Warrior was a lot, a, a, a fair chunk of odds on to beat Golden 60 over this, uh, over this longer distance of a mile and a quarter. But uh, the Warrior would not be denied Golden 60, and that took him to 24 wins from 28 starts in Hong Kong. Uh, the Crocs with me now, Jim McGrath, who was, who was at Sha Tin yesterday. That must have been quite special, wasn't it, Croc? Yeah, it was, Nick, and uh, you know, it, was, uh, it was great to be there for a couple of reasons. One was that uh, crowds are back, and very much enthusiastic crowds as well. Uh, and also that we were treated to a superb performance. Uh, don't forget, only you know five or six weeks ago we were talking about the uh, the race of the decade in Hong Kong with uh, California Spangle joining these two great warriors. Uh, and uh, this time there were only two of them, only Golden Sixty and Romantic Warrior. But um, to be honest with you, 
the race was just an absolute thriller. Uh, they went stride for stride for the last furlong. Uh, the race was set up, I thought, for uh, for Romantic Warrior. Uh, everything went right for him. Uh, Ka Ying Star, ridden by Jay Mack, James McDonald, went around the outside, forced the issue. It was a strong pace. Uh, and, of course, with that in mind, uh, we were th- all thinking, watching and running, that uh, it would suit the Romantic Warrior down to the ground because 2,000 metres, a mile and a quarter, is his forte. However, uh, the great champion, uh, he wasn't uh, going to lie down at all, Golden 60. He enjoyed a good run in fourth position on the outside, and uh, he had about two lengths to make up at the top of the straight, and he absolutely responded. It was uh, it was an exciting moment. The crowd erupted, uh, and he got up uh, in the last few strides, and he's won by the best part of a neck. It was an absolute thriller. Nothing between the two of them. Both of them very courageous, but the absolute brilliance of uh, Golden 60, at the age of seven, mind you, uh, has uh, prevailed. I mean, to what extent does the fact that he has been beaten a, a handful of times or almost... Almost enhance his standing insofar as he keeps coming back off the ropes to to serve it up to these younger horses time and again. Uh, yeah, he does, and and I mean we we saw another dimension uh, yesterday because you know it wasn't you know a mile is his absolute optimum trip in my opinion, and I would say in most people's opinion, uh, two thousand stretches him, uh, and but at this time. As I say, it was set up for Romantic Warrior because it was a strong pace. Uh, it wasn't a sit and sprint. Uh, and yet, even under those circumstances, he, he dug deep and he was able to use that turn of foot in the final strides to get up. Uh, you know, it was it was amazing. I mean, you have to keep asking yourself, um, how, does, how does this horse keep on coming up at the age of seven uh, and he's, he's had a few battles uh, along the way. Um, and if you look at his record, those defeats that you're talking about, I'd say three of them uh, could be sort of excused in a way. Um, the one that he got beaten uh, very early in his career, that was again at the end of a long preparation, his first preparation. And uh, it was a class three race. It was, you know, probably about 40 pounds below the rating he runs off at the moment. So that was uh, just put a line through that. But everything else he's done since has just been exemplary. Uh, Croc, thanks so much. Must have been a pleasure to be there. Absolutely. Well, thanks to Jim, and he'll be back with his regular updates in association with the Hong Kong Jockey Club on Wednesday. Cornelius is back with me. Cornelius, tomorrow the Whip Review Committee will meet again, and then uh, the panel will announce its findings on Wednesday. We had the disqualification last week. We had the 18-day ban for Lorcan Williams. We are hoping that the curve starts to dip down. We might be expecting another disqualification if the if the rumors are to be are to be believed with certainly one jockey being told that he'd he'd struck a horse 12 times uh, at the back end of last week so i i don't know what's going to happen and we can't prejudge what the panel are going to decide but um what's your take on on this being over the over the weekend well it's a big week isn't it because last week was was first time out so it was i suppose inevitable that there were going to be quite a lot of transgressions as as the betting period came betting in period came to an end and uh, the uh, you know the the reality of actual suspensions and disqualifications appeared and there were quite a number of those as was well publicised last week. Um, 
people don't really know, do they? But that you know, there are people saying, "Oh, I think that's going to be a that's going to be a case." And I was at Hereford races on Sunday. Somebody said, "Oh, look at that jockey. That was high. You know, he's he's going to be in trouble." So there's a lot of talk about it. My general impression over the weekend, sitting at home watching all the fixtures on Saturday on television, and then at Hereford, as I say, on Sunday, was that. Um, you know, somebody used the expression, or I was using with somebody the expression. Um, you know, it was like watching a, a young horse learning on the job in a in a bumper or something like that. I, I got the distinct impression that the the riders realised that the ball is very much in in their court. They have got to stick to these rules. These rules aren't going to be changing. And I think I got the impression watching Sam Tristan Davis, for example, in that um, in that big race at Kempton. You know, he that people have have thought about it and they're working it out and in fact Sam after the race I thought he came up with a very good quote um, which was Lee Mottishead our colleague uh, quoted him in the racing post the rules are there he said we all work together meaning jockeys and officials we talk to each other and we can hopefully keep going forward for the love of the sport and that's absolutely the correct attitude to take I'm sure there will be infringements that will be announced in uh, midweek and there will be further uh, gnashing of teeth etc but uh, there's no alternative but for them, for everybody to sort this out. And um, and I think gradually, you know, it's not no one thought it was going to happen overnight. But uh, I think uh, the response, everyone's responsibility, is becoming clear to them. Cornelius, um, Paul Paul Kimmage, the investigative journalist who writes for the the Irish Independent on Sunday, has penned another piece where he is he is seeking to hold the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory uh, Board uh, up to the light. What's his main focus this time? Well, in his sights is Lynn Hillier, who's the head of anti-doping in in Ireland. And I'm not sure this article that appeared yesterday necessarily has anything all that new, but he. He highlights a, a number of uh, things to do with Lynn Hillier, particular, particularly he says that uh, she has uh, questions to answer and the authorities have questions to answer, which they haven't answered. They've they've done a number of things in, in recent uh, months and recent years, but uh, he believes there are questions that uh, remain very much open. And one of those uh, surrounds Homer Scott. Homer Scott, um, who has been a Cheltenham Festival trainer in the past, um, it was uh, the subject of uh, of an official order as far as uh, allegations of, um, of ill treatment of, of animals was concerned. Uh, and um, but basically, uh, he was allowed, as the Racing Post put it at the time, to quietly give in his license uh, as opposed to face any particular tribunal. And uh, Paul Kimmage thinks this is wrong. There are questions to answer around the Homer Scott case, and he is using this very high-profile vehicle to to have another go at the authorities in Ireland. I don't think, because the Racing Post attempted to get answers about the Homer Scott case, that the, the authorities are going to have to come out with something, aren't they? And the fact is, the, the big question is, why was this guy who uh, apparently was uh, um, Homer Scott, who continued, it is alleged, to uh, infringe certain welfare rules, why was he allowed to hand in his licence as opposed uh, to 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 face the music and has this happened on other occasions as well and uh, Paul Kimmage is determined to get an answer to that right well we're taking stock of where we are with the gambling review and the white paper which I daren't call impending for fear that I could kick it further into the long grass we are now six ministers responsible for gambling in 
since the review was announced. We are nearly two years from the end of the call for evidence. We've had four secretaries of state for culture, media and sport in that time. The latest incumbents are Stuart Andrew. The minister, the secretary of the state is Lucy Fraser, whose constituency includes Newmarket's July course and the National Stud. The chief executive of the Betting and Gaming Council is Michael Duggar, who has been on this podcast a few times before. Michael, plenty to discuss. First of all, though, to what extent is this curious government machinery impinging on our ability to to move forward? It's kind of unprecedented, really. In all my years in Westminster and Whitehall, I've never seen so much upheaval uh, and change. Um, And although we can kind of, you know even half laugh at, you know, 10 different ministers responsible for this over the last um, uh, two and a bit years. There are now serious consequences. And I think one of the one of the consequences in the debate about um, the future gambling white paper, if we go back a year ago, there were lots of dire warnings from uh, the industry um, and also from racing um, as well, which were disputed by anti-gambling campaigners. I think fast forward a year later, and we're now actually seeing not just reports making warnings about the impact that things like affordability checks uh, would have. We're actually seeing those consequences right now. So, you you know, through racing TV and the work that they've been doing on mobilizing punters to contact their MP and and encourage all of your listeners to do that only takes a minute via the uh, racing TV link but also the work the racing post and and others have been doing as well to highlight the impact that affordability checks are already having uh, not just in terms of uh, our industry's revenues uh, but the tax revenues of the government uh, really worrying uh, punters being driven to the unsafe, unregulated black market online. And of course, a very clear now and obvious decline in turnover to racing. So the stakes are high, and but the consequences are already right before us. And and that is a consequence of, you know, the, the unprecedented political upheaval that we've had. We've got to hope now with a new Secretary of State and a new Minister that we can get this over the line uh, in the next few weeks and and hopefully before Easter. But that only leaves a a few more weeks and that's a pretty challenging timetable. And if the government doesn't get it done before Easter, after the Easter recess, you've got Perder and local elections and all of a sudden we're looking at another summer again. Andrew Rhodes appeared on on my Luck on Sunday programme a couple of weeks ago and said that the Gambling Commission hadn't mandated firms to to conduct uh, affordability checks and conduct checks that involve friction on the way in and on the way out, as uh, as he put it. Um, what's the what's the industry's official response to that line? Is that true or not? I think you have to look at the reality of the outcomes of uh, the inspections uh, uh, and the enforcement actions that Andrew's team place upon individual operators, because there is no denying the fact that after, uh, in many cases, after those uh, inspections and enforcement actions, um, it has been made very, very clear to operators that they have to consider affordability. And by that, that means looking simply at somebody's um, discretionary income and spend um, and then have to reach judgments in relation to customers based on that and in order to ascertain uh, that and then to take the action you have seen what 
absolutely amounts to intrusive affordability uh, checks. And the operators who I know have gone through that process have made it absolutely clear to me that they are obligated by the Gambling Commission to do that. I think the government has an opportunity in the white paper really to tidy up this mess once and for all. So there's really two ways uh, forward. The first is you can do what anti-gambling campaigners want and have draconian uh, blanket uh, intrusive affordability checks, say at £100 uh, loss a month, then people would have to produce bank statements and pay slips uh, and would be restricted on, in terms of their betting there. Or we can have really kind of background uh, financial risk checks. And this is something that the industry has been advocating. So these are genuinely non-intrusive. So you are making more interventions, but you need to make an overall risk assessment about customers. So instead of simply looking at their income and their spend, why don't you look at the multiple markers of harm that technology online available that's available enables you to do so you can look at and see if someone you know what time of day or night are they gambling are they gambling more than they used to are they doing it more quickly are they chasing losses so the technology enables you to have a much more sophisticated assessment and to make an overall risk-based approach one of the major areas of contention, Michael, was whether there would be the imposition of a, of a statutory levy on, on operators to, to deal with, with gambling-related harm. Do you think that that's likely? And what's your position on that now? Well, I'm relaxed about this. I mean, I think it's, it's unnecessary. The 1% is already being paid by, it's already been paid by the uh, big operators and has been since the agreement we reached with government in 2019. I'm happy to talk about this publicly now because so much time has gone by, but we've been talking to the government privately for uh, some time uh, and reached agreement with them um, this time last year that we would be happy to roll that 1% um levy out across the rest of the regulated uh, industry so the money is on the table um, and when anti-gambling people were saying well you'll never get the money from the industry unless it's on a statutory footing in 2019 we promised uh, 1% from the big operators um, and we gave them a, a figure actually the money that has been uh, given for research education treatment is more than uh, than was forecast back in 2019 so I'm happy for that 1% to be rolled out for the rest of the regulated uh, industry. I think it's really important, though, that we protect the land-based sector. So land-based operators like betting betting shops with much higher fixed costs, you know, buildings and staff, um, with the economic headwinds at the moment, uh, a 1% for those guys would be disastrous. And I think the government understand uh, this, that if you're going to move towards 1%, you have to have mitigation and you have to have a different scale for land-based operators. Um, I'm hopeful that we can we can secure that. But the money's there um, and the money's committed. I'm happy to make it mandatory for BGC members. Um, so therefore, the issue is not necessarily about how we raise the money. It's for campaigners. They believe that at the moment it's not uh, allocated in an independent way. That's not true. We have no say and no control over how that money is allocated. So that won't change if you get a statutory levy. So personally speaking, I don't think the government has to do this, but I'm relaxed about it to the extent that we're already committed to making this uh, level of funding and for it to to be allocated in an independent way. You've articulated the gambling 
um, industry's position pretty clearly through this through this process. Uh, are the messages that that racing stakeholders forcing out there recently are they, are they actually percolating through to the right places, or is it too little, too late? I think they are. I mean, I always think that you know we could all always do more. I've long encouraged racing to. Uh, raise its head above the parapet. I think um, actually in very recent months, you've seen a lot of that. I think some of the bodies could do a bit more publicly or could do anything publicly. But I think if you look, it's, you've had a kind of Ponta's revolt. Um, I think they are making their views uh, heard loud and clear through racing, through different uh, parts of the racing media, but also uh, owners and trainers, you know, some very well-known uh, figures and, and lots of others involved in racing, I think, have uh, now been articulating not just their concerns about what may happen as a result of the gambling white paper, but what is actually happening right now in terms of the funding for racing. I know there will always be a debate between, I suppose, racing and betting as to, you know, what size of the pie uh, racing gets uh, from betting. Um, but racing also has an interest in protecting the size of the pie there's no point arguing around levy reform and getting a bigger percentage of a smaller number i've always thought that is just an insane position there's a symbiotic relationship between betting and racing as we know and we ought to really be working very closely together and i think large parts of racing are working with the industry um because you know we've we've all got a lot uh, a lot of risk here all right when's the white paper going to appear uh, I've been saying it's, it's an old joke now. I've been saying it's imminent for two years. I do, uh, do think that the uh, chatting to people at Number Ten and inside DCMS, I think they are trying their level best to see if they can get this done by uh, Easter. That only gives a, a few more uh, weeks um, to do the what they call the right round uh, in Whitehall, where they put the proposal uh, to other parts of government. Um, but the, the, the I know that the Secretary of State, who you know is in incredibly impressive, well-respected, you know, has a kind of lawyer's attention to detail, is pouring over the details at the moment. She's someone who uh, has an affection for horse racing, we know that, and a connection through her constituency. Stuart Andrew, the new gambling minister, is also the sports minister, so for the first time in a long time, the person responsible for racing is also the person responsible for gambling policy. I think that's helpful. Stuart is someone I know very well. He's a very sensible, reasonable, um, very impressive guy as well. So I am hopeful um, that this new team can finally get this over the line in the next few weeks. And I think we all need that, whether it's in the betting industry uh, or in, in racing, because, you know, we can joke about how many gambling ministers we've had in the last two years. But it's, it's a bit of a it's, it's a joke that's kind of slightly worn off in, uh, in recent months. All right, Cornelius, we just heard from uh, Michael Duggar, Chief Executive of the Betting and Gaming Council. It, you know, it sounds like we are now weeks away, but still still not, not right on the doorstep. We say it's weeks away. We've been saying it's weeks away for a long time. I just hope that those people in government who have got to make some, have got to make some decisions here, that, that's, that's just put the eventual decision to one side just for one second. But what it is doing to the sport and to the industry by this thing going on and on and on, the, the damage before any potential effects from the white paper or, or suspected effects from the white paper 
Now, it's doing damage already because of this uncertainty. There is nothing worse, worse in any walk of life than uncertainty. And um, this uncertainty continues to hang over racing. So I hope people appreciate that, that this big dark cloud is sort of hanging over uh, racing in particular, but the betting industry as a whole. And these are big and important industries. So please, you know, let's get... When when your man was gave his speech to the Betting and Gaming Council the other day, I think there was a distinct feeling that, you know, here's something positive. This really is just around the corner. I heard on BBC Radio last week, I heard a report saying that the, the answer was going to come within days. Well, it's clearly not going to come within days. I can't see that it's going to come before Cheltenham unless something pretty amazing happens because we've only got two weeks to go until that. Then there'll be parliamentary recesses and things like that. So please get on with it. And please make everything clear. And please realise that even before the content of the white paper is revealed, that there's damage being done to a lot of people's lives because of all this. So get on with it, for goodness sake. And can we have some certainty for this afternoon, Cornelius, with a tip? And I'm going to take you to air again. And I'm going to tip the same horse that I did on the pod in the autumn. This is an eight-year-old, lightly raced eight-year-old named Fortescue Wood, which runs in the 245 at air. Uh, it is the most beautiful horse, nicely bred. Uh, one uh, for me at air on the 9th of November, ran very respectably when third last time out, uh, trained by a good friend of mine, Nick Alexander. So I apologize to him if uh, things have gone wrong uh, or things go wrong today, but I really love this horse. Uh, number four, Fortescue Wood. He was my dark horse to follow at the beginning of the season. Uh, he's come good for me already, and I hope he'll come good again today. Excellent, Cornelius. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you once again tomorrow. That was Monday, the 27th of February. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.